Take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And today we have made it all the way to chapter 6. The Gospel of Luke and chapter 6. Praise God for our missions, our m- missionaries that are serving in places that we can't name and can't even mention their names. And one of those folks is coming here the fourth Sunday of February. And um, he and his wife uh, are in Central Asia as well. And uh, they're going to be bringing a mission report. And you will never forget what he says. When he spoke at our church in Louisville several years ago, I still remember exactly what he said. And uh, this uh, couple are preaching revivals all over um, that place (laughs) that they're serving. And um, they will have been in the uh, mission field since 19, about 1979, I think, something like that. And so uh, we're looking forward to uh, hearing them the fourth Sunday of February for a missions report. Uh, there is coming a business meeting that you need to attend. It's going to be the regular scheduled business meeting, but as you saw on the board and the announcement earlier, it's a joint uh, resolution, I mean a joint motion from both the building committee and the finance committee of our church, we are going to build this building. Amen. And uh, it's, uh, it's time, and it's God's timing. So that's what that's all about. So please be here on that Wednesday evening. Luke chapter 6, <clears throat> Jesus uh, delivers to us the Sermon on the Mount. But before he delivers this Sermon on the Mount, it's called, um, the, it's interesting This Sermon on the Mount is also recorded in Matthew's Gospel as well. Luke and Matthew are trying to make two different points with the same information. And uh, we find Jesus in chapter 6 going up on a mountaintop and praying to God, to Father, all night long. And when he uh, comes down from that overnight retreat with God, he chooses his 12 apostles. Now, Jesus has three groups around him whenever he's teaching and preaching. Uh, We have now these 12 apostles. We know them, Matthew, Mark, etc., etc., and Judas Iscariot. And then there are other disciples that are around him as well. But these 12 are going to be a kind of a reconstitution of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so uh, there's, there's another larger group that's following Jesus around they're called the disciples. So there's a third group of people and these are folks that are interested they're potential disciples but they're not disciples yet. They're the larger crowd of people that's heard about Jesus they heard he heals uh, he teaches with authority in the temple and the synagogues uh, and they're curious. They're curious they are seeking. They're God seekers if you will. And so those are the three people, three groups that Jesus is going to preach this Sermon on the Mount. Now, in verse 12, anybody got your Bible with you? Okay. Um, Is our passage on the board? Yes, it is. Uh, We're going to read um, verses 20 to 22 in just a minute. But right now, let me set set this up for you. Jesus goes away from from the crowd with those disciples He prays on top of the mountain and he comes back and he chooses the apostles out of that group of disciples. And then he uh, goes down the hill on a level place. That's why it's not necessarily called the Sermon on the Mount in 
uh, the Gospel of Luke, but he's on a level place now. And look who he's speaking to in verses 17 and 18. He descended with them and stood on a level place, and there was a great multitude of his disciples and a throng, this is the larger crowd of people, from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. When I read that, I thought, this sounds like Acts chapter 2. Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes down and people have gathered, these Jews have gathered for the festival of Passover from all over the world. Here on the Sermon on the Mount, we have one who is like Moses, Jesus, who's come down from the mountain with a word from the Lord. Okay? And he is speaking to this group of people, and they're from everywhere. They, they are from everywhere, including uh, Tyre and Sidon. Now, these are uh, Phoenician cities, uh, very strategic in the Roman uh, Empire. Uh, these are port cities that are north, uh, west, and on the um, Mediterranean Gulf there, north of Israel, uh, today Lebanon, and um, these people are as, about as far as outside uh, the Jewish law and the Jewish religion as you can get. And yet these Gentiles, these outsiders, the, they, they're not invited to the temple. They're not invited to the synagogue. They haven't even heard about the law of Moses. Uh, but they are interested in the news about Jesus and they come to listen to him. And uh, they are seeking this man called Jesus Christ. So Jesus is speaking to people from all over the world, the known world for them at that time. And look, look the, the condition that these people are in. And uh, it says, uh, These came to hear him. They wanted to be healed of, the, of their diseases. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And the multitude were touching, trying to touch him, for power was coming from him, and he was healing them all. The people in the crowd that was listening to Jesus had spiritual needs, and they had physical needs as well. And with that in mind, you know, you need to know your audience, who you're speaking to. You need to know the audience that this Sermon on the Mount is preached to as well. Jesus begins to speak these words. We'll read together verses 20 through 22. Read with me. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Next slide. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. To a crowd of people who are marginalized, physically disabled, unable to find help and hope, who are spiritually possessed with demonic powers, whose spiritual life is nil and evil is in control of them. Sounds a whole lot. A whole lot like the modern world today. The modern world today has a spiritual illness as well as physical illnesses. And though we think we may be in charge of our life, 
evil forces is causing us to be selfish and self-centered, narcissistic, self-focused, it's all about me, world. Folks, that is a sin-sick condition to be in. And they are ill also physically. These are the marginalized people of Jesus' day, and it happens to be the majority of people in the world today who need to hear this blessing that Jesus offers. And Jesus says, if you will come and follow me, if you will be my disciples, though you be poor, though you be hungry, though you be grieving, though you be ostracized and hated by others, you are going to be blessed. What a great message. If you'll just follow Jesus, He's going to bless you in the kingdom of God. So as we think about following Jesus and being disciples of the Lord Jesus, let's work with this Sermon on the Mount text here. Uh, you can really divide it into two or three parts, but I'm going to divide it into, into three sections. And let's, just, let's deal with the promise of blessing that God has for us if we will just be faithful to follow Jesus Christ. Some of this is going to be very challenging. It's very challenging because when Jesus um, challenged his disciples as they followed him, he said, you've heard it said of old. Old meaning the Pentateuch. Old meaning the law. Here's the standard of the law. Here's the Ten Commandments that Moses gave when he came down from the mountain. Jesus comes down from the mountain and Jesus said, I have a higher standard for you. One that you really can't achieve on your own. You've heard it said of old that uh, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, he says in the Gospel of Matthew, he raises the standard so high that you and I cannot even begin to accomplish it. If you have even lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Oh no, we say. How can we possibly live this higher standard that Jesus has given to us? And here's the good news of blessing. You can't. But you will want to when Jesus lives in your life. When Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, rules and reigns in your heart. You're not trying to live the minimum of the Ten Commandments. You're trying to achieve the maximum that Jesus challenges us to live as followers of Him. And folks, this is the path of blessing. This is the path of blessing. So number one, to live this path of blessing in following Jesus... Recognize your need for Christ. Recognize your need for Jesus every day. Did you notice the people that are not in the crowd? Did you notice the people that are not invited or have not attended, rather, I should say, this Sermon on the Mount? It's the self-righteous. It's the people who are in charge of the synagogue. People who are powerful. Uh, people who have wealth. People who are in cahoots with the government. Uh, people who are uh, self-satisfied. They're not here. The folks that are here have a spiritual need and a physical need. Folks, that's me and you. I need forgiveness of sin. Guilt always follows wrong decisions. Did you know that 
A detective understands when he interviews someone who's being charged with, with the theft. Do you know that that detective understands that that guy he's interviewing can't wait to tell somebody? We're just made that way. I, I, I was with our three-year-old the other day, and um, he would do something with me and Mimi, you know, and when Mama and Daddy got home, he couldn't wait to tell on himself. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I thought, well, son, if you'd just be quiet, you know, they wouldn't know. But he'd just run in the kitchen and say, Mama, I did this and I did that, and just tell on himself. Folks, it's ingrained in us to, to remove the guilt. We, we're not created to live in guilt. We want to confess. We want to be free. Because in the life everyone lives, we all deal with this. We all deal with sin and suffering. And that's the crowd that Jesus preached to there. Folks who were dealing with sin and suffering. Guess what? Both sin and physical suffering in life bring pain. Right? They bring pain. They bring pain. And somebody said, pain is God's megaphone. Pain is God's megaphone. It's in the pain times of our life that we begin to call out, God, where are you? God, why am I going through this? Why is that happening? Did I do something wrong? Is there something wrong somewhere? We begin to seek God when we feel the pain. Now, there are people today that say we are entering a generation and a time where people have no sense of guilt and wrong. I don't believe that. I believe we've become so keen at covering up our suffering and our pain as never before. We will do anything. We will take anything to numb the pain in our life except seek Jesus. Because when we seek Jesus, he says, let's talk about that pain that you're experiencing. Let's talk about that guilt that you're experiencing. Let's talk about the shame that that guilt brings. Let's talk about the, the, the mask that you are wearing to cover it all up and pretend uh, that nothing is wrong in your life. You know, I used to watch TV and I used to think, oh, if I could be like the rich and the famous. Oh, if I could be like the celebrities on TV and in the movies. Oh, if I could just live that, that life. These people have it made. Folks, they are called actors. <laughs> right? They are called actors. Why in God's name do you want to be like that? Foolish. To seek after people who make a living pretending. Jesus said, I can take that mask that you're wearing and give you the courage to take it down. Do you know what the word pride is in the Bible, in the Greek text? It comes from the word where in the Greek plays they used to wear these face masks. One was a smiley and one was a frown and 
one was a surprise and so forth. And that's where we get the word pride, mask. It's mask wearing. And self-sufficiency and pride is a way of covering up the pain and the suffering, the sin and the suffering that we're dealing with in our life. And Jesus says, those of you who are having pain and suffering, those of you who are poor, those of you who really hunger, those of you who are grieving, those of you who are left out. How many of you ever tried to play softball on the grounds and you know how they did like this? Are they chose sides and you were the last one to be chosen every time? You know, you just feel like I'm, I'm just, I grew up being left out. And there are many, many, many students today who are searching for grounded families, healthy families to live in because they feel like their parents and their grandparents have just left them out. There's so many people in our world that feel ostracized and minimalized and, and, and that, that, that who they are is a zero. And Jesus says, I invite you to the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, he's going to turn that around. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you that are grieving, one day you're going to laugh. Blessed are you when you feel minimalized and ostracized and people uh, heap insults on you. He said, uh, that day is going to end. It won't always be like this. Folks, this is the kingdom of God that Jesus brought down from that mountain to that level place and preached and offered to that crowd, and he's offering it to you right now. That kingdom of God comes to us partially now in the presence of Christ in us and the Holy Spirit, and we get to step into and live in the kingdom of God every day that we choose to be obedient to Jesus Christ. It's just amazing how your grief turns to laughter when you just obey Jesus. Jesus. It's just amazing how your sense of poverty becomes a sense of contentment and satisfaction if you just obey Jesus. When you step forward in discipleship and just obey Jesus, things turn around for you. He doesn't draw you out or throw you out or, 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 or make you escape from the troubles and sorrows you have. He comes to possess you in the midst of those and give you victory right where you are. Because as long as you live in this world and in this life, you're going to have to deal with sin and suffering. Christians, you've got to deal with your sin still. You, you, you've got to deal with what you're hiding from your friends, from your church members. You've got to deal with that stuff. And you've got to let Jesus come in and invade your life and say, i got something better for you. i got something better for you. Walk after me, live after me, and do the next thing. First of all, we need to recognize Jesus every day. Number two, we need to love others like Jesus loves you. And verse 27 to 37, he, he talks about loving others. And, and he has all kinds of ways of talking about loving others. And if I could summarize that, living the love of the kingdom of God, living like Jesus loved other people. You know, you've heard me say it before, you don't have to like everybody. When, when the Lord told me that one day, that, was just, that just relieved me a lot of, of um, unnecessary... Uh, something because I was trying to just be in love with everybody and 
I found out there's just a lot of people I don't like. And you know who I like the least? Do you know the person I meet? When I meet somebody and and I think, I don't like that guy. Do you know why? Because he reminds me of something in me that I don't like about me. And if, if if you'll think about it, the person you're at odds with, the person that you like the least, there's something in them that reminds you about something in yourself that you don't like about yourself. But I am responsible under God to be loving toward them. That means to be respectful. That means to treat people with dignity. That means to speak the truth in love. That means to let them be accountable to God and not to me. In other words, Jesus said, treat other people like you want to be treated. That's called the golden rule sometimes. Treat other people like you want to be treated. Another way to love other people like Jesus loves you is to listen well. Listen well. When we listen to each other and talk less, we become attuned to the activity of God among us. Listen for the activity of God in the conversations that you're having with other people. Now, you'll listen to people who, after, you know, after a while on the phone, you're just kind of, oh, I can't, can't stand i got to get out of here. Um, but as you listen to people, listen for the activity of God in their life. And bring Christ into the conversation. How do you see God at work in your life? Because He is. Listen well. Listen for the activity of God. Mother Teresa said one time that she experiences Jesus twice a day. You all know Mother Teresa. She worked with the patients who were dying. Um, Many of them in the third world countries who were dying from AIDS and so forth. And she said she met, she, met, she met God, she's deceased now, she met God twice a day. She met Jesus in her prayer and uh, worship experiences every morning. And the second way was she met Jesus in the needy, the suffering soul that she's tending to. We are fast, we are quick, pass by people who are hooked on drugs and hooked on alcohol and who are dying in front of us. I remember driving through Kailua in Hawaii and we passed by Obama's house. He's constructing a home out there, several million dollars right on the coast. We passed by his house and on the back side of his house next to the highway is about a half a mile of homeless tents. That's where the homeless live, in those tents. As we're driving down the road, and we got to the other end, I said, did y'all see Jesus back there? And uh, folks in the car said, uh, okay, this sounds like a trick trick question, you know. Did y'all see Jesus back there? I said, Jesus was in those tents of the homeless people who are alcoholics, 
drug addicts, people that the world has overlooked and forgotten. That's where Jesus is. Love also responds with kindness and compassion. When you are kind to people, you are ex expressing the compassion and the love of Almighty God. Kindness not only helps other people, but it will feed your soul. You will feel better about yourself when you help somebody else. One of the quickest ways to work out of the hole that we dig for ourselves, uh, some call it depression, some call it self-indulgence, some people have other words for it, and depression is a dark, dark uh, experience of the soul. It, it really is. It's very serious. But one of the antidotes that we have to do when we experience depression, and I've dealt with it in some sense all my life, but I find that what my doctor told me one day is absolutely true. Engage in life. Engage in people. When you are kind and compassionate and helpful to other people, it'll help you with the darkness of depression, the darkness of being isolated. Now, I'm going to tell you, COVID has been around since March and February of last year. And I'm telling you, folks, it's taken its toll on us emotionally. Let's be honest about it. it, it really, it's, it's hurt. You're feeling the effects of it. Our students are fe feeling the effects of it. And we have got to stay engaged with each other. We've got to find creative ways to stay engaged with people. Daggone, I'm coming to a WMU meeting tomorrow night. I do, I do that just to get out of the house, Scott. I've never been to a WMU meeting, and I don't know when. But I am coming tomorrow night. <laughs> get engaged. Stay engaged with other people. Stay engaged with other people. And being kind builds relationships in a powerful way. Somebody said you need the four T's to have a, a dynamic relationship, a growing uh, relationship. This is true about marriage. It's true about friends and the church. Um, you know, love is spelled T-I-M-E. You knew that, didn't you? Love is spelled T-I-M-E, spending time with each other. Time, touch, talking, and trust. Those are the four pillars of a healthy relationship time together touch whether it be a handshake or if you're a spouse you know what I'm talking about talking uh, sharing and trust trust builds as you share life together with each other kindness generates kindness kindness generates kindness and Lord we need that today love generates love as well but also hate and vengeance generates hate and vengeance also. Part three of this message <clears throat> is in verse 38. Jesus said, Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For whatever measure you deal out to others, it will be dealt to you in return. And I think that's where we get that, that saying, what goes around comes around. I, I really do. But what he means by that is, give as you have prospered. Now, he didn't say give as you've not prospered. He said give as you have prospered. 
in Deuteronomy, the Bible says, you shall tithe all the produce from what you sow. In other words, you tithe how you have prospered. You tithe the produce which comes out of the field every year. Giving makes me more like God as well. I become like the Lord Jesus. I become like God when I discover the hilarious life of giving. There's nothing more fun than being able to give and minister to other people. It also strengthens our faith. We become more uh, trusting of the Lord when we let go of what is really His and give it back to Him and say, Lord, I trust you. The Bible says in uh, uh, Deuteronomy 14, 13, and this is from the Living Bible, it says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Put God first in your life. Um, you know, you can't take it with you. There's an Arab proverb, an Arab proverb says that there are no pockets in a burial shroud. Did you know that? There's no pockets in a burial shroud. And so when you bless, you're blessed in return. Giving comes back. And you can never outgive the Lord. So give as God has prospered you. He didn't say give as you've not prospered. He said give as you've prospered. And however the Lord has blessed you, a tithe belongs to Him. And then there's so many needs around us that we give to. And I want to congratulate you for giving to missions as you have with the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Um, that's ph phenomenal. And I praise God for your faithfulness in giving. We're more like Jesus. We are more like Jesus. Will you bow with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the challenge of being disciples of yours. It's a challenge that far exceeds our ability. So Lord, we really need to be repentant and humble every day and seek the power of God in us who can accomplish this life and receive the blessings of this path of discipleship. And Lord, help us to make one change in our life that will put us back on the path. We're so often finding ourselves in the ditches and we need to repent. We need to, to allow you to examine our heart and our life and be honest and say, I'm willing to make this one little change to draw closer to you. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that has not yet given their life to Christ, they'll come right now and give their life to the Lord. And by coming forward saying, I want to be on that path of salvation. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be saved and saved forever and follow Him. Lord, Lord we thank You for this opportunity to be disciples of Yours. For those who have already accepted Jesus and been saved, help us, Lord, to be stronger disciples, to get out of the crowd of onlookers and get into a smaller crowd of disciples that are faithful and even more so become the sent ones, the apostles, the ones who are sent. Lord, send us. May we say, yes, we'll go where you want us to go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing this hymn of response. And you obey the Lord. <clears throat>